y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Yes, the number one safe social distancing activity. Well, number one behind reading, crafts, playing video games, mowing the yard, scrubbing the baseboards, self-acupuncture. Uh, okay, Vanessa, I, th- I think oh, they get it. Sorry, sorry, okay. In this episode, the guys catch up on all the games they played over the last month. They compare and contrast the game's Great Western Trail and Maracaibo. Plus, they discuss the latest industry news from Asmodee and Plat Hat Games. Hello and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. We have recovered from the 5th Annual Squirrelies. This is episode number 194. Don't worry, be happy, and I'm Tony. (laughs) (laughs) And I am Marty and Tony. That is a very appropriate name for this show. As as this recording in March of 2020, we are going through something that's probably going to be remembered for a very long time. And that's the, I guess it's a pandemic of the coronavirus. It's now basically all over the world. Uh, Hence the term pandemic. That's correct. Yes, you've used that correctly. So yes, the uh, virus, COVID-19, so it started in 2019. It's serious. It it is really serious. It is serious. And um, (laughs) I was going to say, you know, it's a good thing that uh, this happened now and not during the squirrelies, because otherwise all of our guests will be stuck here in my basement and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And, And to be honest with you, Tony, I had this whole bit about how it's affecting us. Is it? Is it messed up our game group last week? Because people felt like you know I don't need to be exposed and everything like that. And it's funny. A week ago, the jokes were funny, but just one week later, it's like okay, maybe making jokes isn't the best things to do in this situation uh, about this really tough thing that's going all over the world. So, so we're not. So, so no jokes or anything like that. But. Uh, as your title says, Tony, don't worry, be happy. I guess just in these times, you just got to try to be positive and know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We'll come out on the other side. I'm positive that we will. I mean, one of the biggest things you can do is try to be positive for others and maintain that social distance. Keep that arm's length away. Make sure you're wiping down stuff, washing your hands. I mean, my heavens, make sure you're washing your fingertips between your fingers. Doing a, it's, it's a special hand washing that surgeon does. It's Turkish something. I can't escape my mind right now, Marty. But anyway... Be sure to take care of yourself because we are recording this on 316. So who knows what's happening when this is released on, what is it, 324 when this comes yeah, out? Yeah, 324. It's, it's, I was just sitting there thinking it's going to be interesting that, let's say a year from now, somebody goes back and listens to this episode. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. That was funny. Somebody listening to old episodes. Yeah. Let's say hypothetically that <laughs> yeah. a year from now, somebody listened to this old episode and they're like, oh, yeah, boy. I remember that time. I hope that a year from now that we're looking back going, whoo, that was rough, but I'm, I'm glad that's over. So for you and I, another reason for the title of the song is Don't Worry, Be Happy. For us, the impact is financially as devastating because Donna told me what is happening to my retirement. Matter of fact, a f- good friend of mine was going to turn in his papers next month. Oh, He's going to have to work another year or two. So for us 
oldsters who need to take care of ourselves. Everybody, I hope your family is safe and you are safe. Who knows? I don't know, markets may bounce back and stuff. It's you know, it's an ebb and flow of the market. This time next year, the stock market may be right back where it was, and, and everybody's four hundred one k will be great. Who who, who knows? I, I know from my company, Duke Energy, we are down. We were at the highest we've ever been at over a hundred plus dollars in our stock, and today we hit seventy. We are a p- public utility. It'll go back up. It will go back up. I know it will. But we don't want to talk about stocks. That's boring. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about some of the other craziness that's going on right now. Tony, have you been to a supermarket lately? I have been to a supermarket, to a big box store, to a Sam's, uh, to a Quickie Mart, to a QT. (laughs) I'm, uh, you know, the world is gone mad. Okay, so today I was thinking, I believe that in like situations like this, there is a fine line between common sense and hysteria. Yes. So a person walks into a supermarket. Okay, they say that we should, you know, kind of stay in our houses, don't go out to restaurants, etc. So let's just go ahead and get some stuff for the week. Oh, look, here over here, here's um here's some ground beef. It's like, well, normally I buy two pounds of ground beef, but Maybe I should go ahead and get four. Wait a minute. What about if it's longer than that? Well, maybe I should. You know what? I'm just going to get like eight pounds. And there's the first tip of a domino on like a product. So then somebody else realizes, oh, wow, there's there's less meat here than what there usually is. I was just going to buy two pounds, but maybe I bed better buy eight. And then it just snowballs. And that's exactly what happens. You've gone from common sense. Maybe just maybe make sure I take care of myself to let me buy freaking everything, including half of an aisle of toilet paper. Yes. Why? Why do you need that much TP? Why do you need 200 plus rolls? I saw a great video from a, a guy that I follow on YouTube called Upper Echelon Gaming, who usually takes very serious topics in gaming, but he did a study on the uh, toilet paper fiasco that's been going on during this time and did some research to determine how much the average person uses. And these people buying hundreds of rolls and said, basically, you just bought years worth of toilet paper for yourself. That's not needed. And he, he even talked about, he said, even in situations like this, where why is it people going crazy? Because there there's a news out there on Facebook that toilet paper only comes from China. That's stupid. And it's like, no. And he showed all these, the biggest companies in the United States produce toilet paper right here in the country. It was just a really eye-opening video. It's like, it's look how ludicrous this is over toilet paper. Yeah. And I mean, let's think about it, people. It is almost spring here in the Carolinas. And another two, three weeks, there's going to be plenty of toilet paper hanging off the limbs of the trees. Why is that? Did you not listen to our RPG where the two head net and was talking about ripping the leaves down to wipe his butt? Oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, we, that, that, wow. You made a, uh, a connection that I just, did not, I thought like, so, what is somebody going to TP the house or something during the spring? No, they're going to go to the tree. They're going to rip a leaf off and there you go. Life is good. Oh. Speaking of spring, is it not going to make it any more crazy because allergies are really bad around here with all the pollen. So somebody is going to get the sniffles and have allergies like they typically do. And they're going to cough and everybody's going to point fingers at them. Coronavirus when it's just simply allergies. It's 
it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it's one of those things, just I wish people just used a lot more common sense. I think most of our listeners probably do, right? We, we have a great audience that does that. I will say this, though, uh, with a lot of things that's been going on, uh, recently some states have started like shutting down restaurants and bars and stuff. If you can, uh, a lot of those still have takeout Uh, If so, try to support those businesses. A lot of them are small businesses. If you do go out to a restaurant that's still serving people as they come in, uh, tip because you never know when those uh, waiter uh, wait staffs uh, may be out out of a job for a little bit while they they shut down the restaurants for only you know dine out or take out only. And even Tony, even, even in the gaming arena, we have two large game stores here in Charlotte that has shut down their open gaming area of the store and only the retail space is open. And that's going to hurt them because both of those stores rely on foot traffic. They rely on people to come in, hang out, play a game and probably buy something. So even small stores like that are going to be impacted with something like this. Yes, they are. I know, I know this is a big leap, but that's what this show is known for is just, Oh, we just step everywhere. We don't care. So you remember back many, 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 many episodes ago when um, I did a series called Statistically Speaking with a young gentleman, Taylor Pospichel. Yes. So Taylor is now Dr. Pospichel. He got his PhD in statistics and he works for Google. Uh, mm-hmm. So his parents were with us on the trip. Yes, I returned from our um, cruise and I'm okay, people. Thank you for asking. Did anybody ask? No. Actually, I've uh, you said people pointing fingers, and that will go to another story. People are pointing fingers at us, but I'll go okay. to that later. But he is in <laughs> San Francisco area. Yeah. In fact, the main reason why we didn't game last week was, was because of you. And well, okay. Anyway, he is locked down. He cannot leave his apartment in San Francisco. I understand the purpose of why some of these decisions are being made, but there's some livelihoods and stuff being. I, I don't know. I don't want to get into it because don't worry, Marty. It's, it's, Be happy. It's, it's all that's right that's true because all day every day that's all anybody's talking about and here we're we're not supposed to be bringing people down we're supposed to be bringing people up and i know everybody's promoting about sitting at your house playing board games a lot of people have been doing that but go back to about uh pointing fingers cuz i know part of this story and i think this is funny so so gaming i get back from the cruise we were had a wonderful time on viking star we were doing norway chasing the northern lights got some incredible pictures that my wife posted out on facebook cuz i don't do facebook and she did all this i get back and one of the things that happened was she was uninvited to Bunko because we were on a cruise ship. First off, we were in Norway where it's freaking cold and there's barely any, there's, you know, like 17,000 people in Alta. And I'm like, the cruise ship was the cleanest thing, probably cleaner than your own house because of how they were cleaning it. Anyway, so she got uninvited. That was brick number one. Brick number two was trivia in the neighborhood got canceled. Because of y'all? They wouldn't say that. <laughs> but they said there are some concerns about the virus and all like this. Maybe we should not get together. What do you think? And I let them know what I think. And my wife told me I wasn't very nice. So that's brick number two. Brick number three. Why does it matter? I'm building a house here. He just keeps building up and I'm ready to throw some bricks at. Mm, just, oh. So anyway, I go out of respect to my gaming buddies. Keep in mind, I was on a cruise. Nothing is wrong. Everything's fine. But how do y'all feel? Because people are treating us as lepers. 
Well. That's funny. That's so funny. Hey, look, and it's like people got to make their own decisions and, and people decide, you know what? We're not going to take the chance. And that is fine. It's fine. You know, people, rec- people recommend. I mean, I've heard today, uh, don't even here in the uh, North Carolina, was it the governor said, we recommend not even getting together with more than 10 people at a time. It's gone from 100 down to 50. Now it's like down to 10. So you probably won't even be able to sleep in the same bed with your uh, significant other. Just be smart, everybody. I think that, again, it's a it's a fine line between common sense and hysteria. Common sense, if there's anything wrong, quarantine yourself. If there's nothing wrong, don't get, you know, there's no need to risk getting anything wrong with you being in big groups. It's, it's the same stuff we hear beating to our heads every single day with how to live our lives now. I just hope that it's all proactive enough to where you know, it won't last as long as where it possibly could have. Yeah. I hope this is over to the point where the, the, the disease we've, we've shaved the peak, we've rounded it, we flattened it, we stomped on it, all that, that ever they're saying we're doing so that it's over before the toilet paper gets restocked. <laughs> there was some good news today. The uh, first trial vaccine uh, for the viruses given to a human. I don't know what stage of the trial. There's different stages, mm-hmm. but that's a good sign. So it's now being given uh, to a test to test subjects to see if it works. So who knows? Maybe in a few months they're pushing this as, through as fast as they can. You know, trying to avoid all the red tape. And who knows? Maybe in five six months, maybe we'll have a vaccine available that would take care of all. Well, I hope so because Gen Con. My gosh, man, Gen Con's in trouble. And I, I, I know, uh, I know. Well, there's a, and look at all the cons that's been canceled so far. It's, uh, you, you know, uh, one that's happening this weekend that you may not know about is a big miniatures con. Adepticon was canceled. I know uh, the Gathering of Friends, which is a big deal for a lot of designers to get together, that was canceled. I fully expect Origins to be canceled in June. I could be totally wrong, but I think it probably will be. But will, will Gen Con survive? I don't know. Okay. So here's another one. All right. Uh-oh. Another brick. Another brick, another rant. If Gen Con gets canceled. Yes. And I don't get my $50 back because of my hotel I canceled, I will, oh, I will be very, very unhappy. I was already unhappy for having to pay $50 because I canceled within a week of our hotel. And I understand why they did it, Marty. I understand why they charge or said, we were going to charge you $50 to keep people from hoarding hotel rooms. I understand that. You got to put a little skin in the game so that you and me and Matt and whoever else we can get, uh, Joel, Fred, Barney, Wilma, all down the line, don't go out and we all try to get a hotel room to try to get the best one. Because if I'm having to pay out $50, that's going to make me think differently, right? Yep. I was not happy about that at the beginning because I was like, this ain't right. When in a hotel do you cancel within the first week and get charged? I think there should have been more leeway in that, but there wasn't. But by gosh, if they canceled Gen Con and I don't get it back, oh, mm, I'm going to have to write a stern post-it note. (laughs) But here's the thing. You're in the same boat as everybody else, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that is a... Uh, that's written in the fine print for everybody that reserved through the portal mm-hmm. for Gen Con. And God, we were supposed to ha- have a big deal, Tony, where we announce our, our big strike 
uh, event and everything. And we have dates, everybody. We have a date. We have a time. Uh, you know, uh, how soon do we promote it? I, I don't know. Uh, I'd hate to promote it and start selling tickets and then it doesn't happen. But I, I just will say, everybody, if Gen Con happens, Tony has set up our schedule for the tournament. We have the Spaghetti Factory, Spaghetti Factory again on hold. Old Spaghetti Warehouse. Old Spaghetti Factory, OSF. I thought it was OSW. It's at the Spaghetti Restaurant. How about that? There we go. And um, That's sad. We don't even know where we're holding the tournament. We just know it's somewhere down the street. I, you go out of uh, the hall, you go out of the convention center, and go down the street, and it's like on the right. You can't miss it. Just go out of the convention center about a block and take a right. It's right there. Yeah, it's near that restaurant where they are mean to you. No, that's Dick's. That's another location. I know, but I'm saying that ours is right next door to it, isn't it? No, it's not. It's not? Okay. No, Dick's is right near the uh, Steak and Shake. Oh. Where we go for late night milkshakes and it smells like pee. Okay, another appetizing thought. (laughs) (laughs) It does. I'm just saying what it is. All right, so we're going to have the Gen Con on Thursday night at 7 p.m. at the Spaghetti uh, Restaurant down near the Convention Center like we did last (laughs) year. We've um, upped the ante as far as number of people if we get to hold it. Uh, we will be announcing when the tickets go on sale. Uh, same menu as last year. We got some spaghetti, got some lasagna. You get a salad. Uh, you get uh, tea or a soft drink, and you get a dessert. You get some ice cream. Big time, but most importantly, you are there to support gladiators in the arena. We'll see. I'm not going to get all psyched and hyped about it till we get closer to time and we think it's going to happen. You better start warming up. <laughs> I better I better start practicing. I, I know, I know. Especially with the big announcement. Strike is back, baby. A strike is back. And I thought it was just going to be uh, a Harry Potter themed strike, but there's just a regular version of strike that's coming. And it looks just like a bowl with some dice. I mean, they don't even have the word gladiator anywhere on the box. I can't help it that they're wrong. I, it's not, that's, not my, that's not on me. That's on them. They need to be correct. No, I think it is on you. We've tried. We've tried. We, we've we've won three years straight. What does it take? Four P? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so, well, well, at the rate it's going, yeah, it, it'll be a four P for sure. So anyway, that's kind of on the, uh, the back burner right now. A lot more important things going on, but I will say that we do have it set and ready to go in case it does happen. So I, I hope it does, but uh, obviously there's, there's a lot more craziness that needs to be resolved before we ever uh, get to that point. But you know what, Tony, while you were gone, um, I did manage to get a few games to the table before the the craziness happened and people were starting to back out and not play games with us anymore. Not that we hold grudges. No. Never. No, we do not. And and it's totally understandable because the person that backed out is probably listening to this. We understand. We're we're just we're just picking with you. Yeah, but uh, well, I mean, before you get into the games, I will say one thing. Um, I'm happy that our buddy Mark Kale. <laughs> okay, wow, we're throwing the name out there. No, no, okay. I'm not saying I'm not linking it back there. I am saying that he was able to secure Mega MooseCon again. Yes, yes. Not, no, and I just hope that the virus doesn't cancel that because Lord knows, I'm sure Mark is. Oh, I'm sure he will persevere through this in order to hold Mega MooseCon, right? Yeah, I'm sure he will. <laughs> That's going to come up in, in the middle of September. It's always a good time for us. And uh, last year, uh, there's going to be a possible change of venue, but it got all worked out. So, hey, you know, if all these other cons currently are canceled, 
Uh, there's some that's going to be happening, you know, in September and, and on that uh, Tony and I will be a part of. I'm upset, Tony, because um, in middle of April, I was going to go to a little small convention in Knoxville called Fun K Town. Get it? Funky, Funky Town. Town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, uh, word just came down today that the organizer of this event has said, you know what, we we probably need to. Uh, shut it down so i won't be going to that which is a bummer so uh, a lot of these big events are are closing down who, know, who knows how long it'll go but again just uh hang in there everybody pull some games off the shelf i see a lot of people like on facebook and everything recommending games for their friends and family uh which is good and i will say that if you want to go out and get a game just kind of referencing back what i said before go to your local game store and get it if they are shutting down things like here where the open gaming is shut down uh, they need your business. I know a lot of these places rely on the people who are sitting there to eat snacks and drinks and everything and buy supplies as they're sitting in there. So people need a reason to go there and, and buy stuff. And now's a good time to go buy stuff to come back and play with your family and friends. You know, there's another brick in the wall for me. Like Pink Floyd? Yeah. You know what it was this time? What's that? I got to see that you played War of the Ring, you dog. You, f- you freaking dog. I cannot believe you. That's it. That's it. Rolling dice and taking names. Keep rolling dice. That's it. I'm done with you. I'm done. You played War of the Ring. Okay, so here, here's why. Oh, yeah. Try to because excuse not, yourself because, from because, this one. Go ahead. So our buddy, uh, Nate Bivens, has been wanting to teach the game, and uh, he said he could teach both you and I. And I thought, that's I'd rather have somebody teach me first as opposed to you and I sit down and try to learn it ourselves, because uh, that would just be a fiasco. Uh, so he came over one weekend a couple weeks ago and taught me the game for the sole purpose of so that I can now teach you the game. Yeah, keep trying to dig out of it. Keep trying to dig yourself out. So, so now that I, I, I can teach you. So we finally got to pull off the shelf the anniversary edition uh. of War of the Ring that I've had for a couple years. It is an absolutely gorgeous set. All pre-painted figures. A huge board that you play on. Nice tokens. Nice cards and everything. And it's, it is an amazing experience. I know a lot of people have told me War of the Ring is one of their favorite games of all time. Is that if you like two-player asymmetric games like Star Wars Rebellion, like we like, like Netrunner and stuff like that, you said you really like this game. And I got a chance to play it. I played as the Freeze People, the Fellowship, and uh, Nate played as the, uh, the Shadow. And um, it is a solid game. It is a fun game. It's one of those things you probably need to play multiple times to kind of get the strategy and everything down. But what I was so impressed with is, even though kind of anything can happen to the in the game, it's amazing how in the game that we played, it kind of followed the books. Uh, as the Fellowship, you're starting out in Rivendell, and you're heading towards Mordor. And along the way, different members of the Fellowship, you can decide to have like Legolas lead the Fellowship to go off and do his thing or Aragorn lead the Fellowship and go off and do his thing. And that's exactly what happened. Meanwhile, the the hordes of minions are, are coming out of Mordor and um, Isengard, Sauron's uh, out there. Saruman, sorry. Saruman's out there. Uh, making Uruk eye and he's generating all this stuff to put pressure on Gondor and Rohan. And I'm trying to defend against that. His goal is to try to take over as many locations as possible. My main way to win probably is to get the ring to Mordor and not get totally corrupted. And it was an amazing three hour game. Would you be in for a three hour game? Cause that's what it is. As long as there's plenty of potty breaks, you know, I'm in and well, <laughs> toilet paper, we're good. You know how sometimes we'll play again? Well, this may never happen to you because everything's going to feel long to you. For me, there are games wow. that I've played. It's like, wow, 
that was three hours. It didn't feel like three hours. And that was, this was one of those games. So it's not like a game that's three hours that feels like six to me. No, it's not. In fact, this one, I honestly thought I was going to look down at my watch and it was going to be like an hour and a half to two. It, it just really moved that. And you're engaged with just two players. You're constantly engaged. So there's really no downtime. I mean, you're rolling dice and there you and you have icons on them and you use those to resolve actions that you want to do play cards from your hand uh muster units move and attack man it, it is good the only the only weird thing that i wasn't that crazy about and unless you've played this won't make any sense there's this whole politics section of the board to where certain races of the fellowship or certain races in middle earth will not engage in war unless they're pushed to war and there's this idea of moving a certain faction like Rohan and Gondor uh, using politics to influence them. Hey, you need to jump in and help us. And if they don't, you can't start a combat. And I thought that was kind of weird. It's like Mordor can come in and start attacking me, which will push me closer to be willing to go to war, but it won't quite be there yet. What? That part was kind of funky to me. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I mean, if someone's attacking you, I mean, you, you want to defend yourself and unless i'm remembering wrong let's say uh if i'm if you attack me mordor attacks me that moves my politics on the track down one level towards war but if i'm not there on my turn i can't turn around and initiate attack back Mm. is that right i don't know i didn't Uh, i can can only i can only defend i know i can't muster and that was a a big deal because i was wanting to bring in more troops it's like well there's no need to bring in more troops because you're not at war yet it's like i need to get to war but there are mechan there and that's one of the things you need to play over time it's like okay i need to realize in the future there are things i can do with the dice and everything to move certain races down the politic tracks towards war to where they can build their forces and go out and fight as need be but meanwhile while this is happening sam and frodo are you know marching toward mordor to try to dump the ring now we had kind of an anticlimactic ending mm. to our game when you get to mordor there's like five steps to get to mordor and there's this a uh, corruption bag uh, that will basically tokens are pulled from it that can cause corruption and over the course of the game i was adding tokens to the bag which would help reduce my corruption where Nate may have been adding tokens that would increase my corruption. So at the very end, as I'm marching my last five steps towards Mordor, each time tokens will be pulled from the bag and resolved. They could be good. They could be, they could be bad, but usually they were, if, if I get to 12 corruption game is over when I got to Mordor, my corruption was only three. And they said, you, you've done really good so far. You really got a good shot at this. So there's this one thing though, and a bag of 25 to 30 tokens at the time, there's, four tiles that have eyes on them and the eyes resolve like this. He can dedicate a number of dice uh, to the pool at the beginning of each turn. And every time he rolls an eye on a die, it's dedicated to a pool. When you're in that part, if you pull an eye, the number of dice that's been allocated is the number of corruption you'll take. It just so happens one time he dedicated three dice and rolled three eyes. So now there's six there. So I pull a token out of the bag out of 30 tokens. I pull an eye. It's like, well, great. That, that's that's six. No fear. No fear. Because guess what, Tony? I have Mithril Armor on. And the Mithril Armor card says, okay, put that token aside and draw another token. And lo and behold, you can probably tell where this story is going. Guess what token I pulled out of the bag? Another eye. Another eye. So I still took the six corruption. 
that that token is now out of the bag. Now the original eye that I pulled out does go back in the bag. I said, fine, fine. I'm only a couple steps away. I can still do this. Next turn, I get the bag and Nate says, you're pulling your own token. I'm not pulling it for you. Reach my hand to the bag of like now 24 to 29 tokens and pull out another eye where three dice have been dedicated to it. Game over. So I made three straight pulls and pulled an eye token every single time. Left a bad taste in my mouth, man. I can understand that. That's not fun. And that was after how many hours? Three. See, that to me can be a flaw. Well, I mean, it was just dumb luck. I mean, it was just dumb. There's some dice rolls in there. Uh, you may have some bad dice rolls of combat and everything like that. It's just, it was just dumb luck. And the interesting thing was, uh, uh, Nate had played this a lot over the years. And he said, he said, if you hadn't have drawn those eye tokens, there's a very good chance it would have come down to one of us winning on the last turn. It's like, I wish we would experience that. Mm-hmm. Because he was very close to getting the last stronghold he needed to get uh, to take over an area and win the way he typically wins. And in that same turn, I might would have made the final step to Mount Doom, which would have, I would have won the game. I wish I would have seen that, but just really bad draws, you know, end up causing me like instantly nine corruption and the game's over. Right. And I guess, well, you did have one way to mitigate a bad draw and what did the mithril armor get damaged? Yes. It's a one-time use. Okay. And, and what's funny is I plan for it, man. It's like, all right, I'm going to keep this mithril armor. I'm not going to use it until I absolutely have to. It's like, now I absolutely have to use it. And daggummit, if I didn't draw another one. If, if I don't remember, if I remember, if I don't remember, if I remember correctly, Frodo was stabbed in the mines of Moria. Frodo was stabbed on a weathertop. No, 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 no. After that, yes, he was. But then after Evendell, Frodo got the mithril armor from Bilbo. Evendell? That's a, that's a board that's game. A you need Rivendell? Rivendell. Thank you. Um, that's okay. I'm watching um, 911. Everdell. Uh, 911 Austin. With, it's got Liv Tyler in it. And I can't get past seeing her. That's not her role. She's Arwen. She'll always be Arwen. She's always Arwen. And here she's a paramedic. I keep waiting. Never mind. Sorry, squirrel. Um, so, but from that standpoint, and Bilbo gives him the armor. And then when he goes yes. into the mines of Moria, he gets stabbed by a goblin. And I don't see them chuck it aside. Okay. So not everything is 100%. According to the books. Okay. In this case, it it was used once and gone. But again, I just thought it was so cool as the game was played, how the books kind of played out. Mm -hmm. It's like the big fight was in Gondor because it's right there on the edge of Mordor. I'm trying to sneak Frodo and Sam around everything. He's sending out the Nazgul looking for me uh, because I'm hidden but there's some times where I may be exposed and the Nazgul makes it easier to find me. And if I'm exposed, then it makes it easier for him to corrupt me. Thematically, it's just so well done. So I can't wait for you to try it at, at some point in time. It's it's good. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, we'll get to play it before your memory goes soft and you forget the rules. I <laughs> know. And then right after that, we played immediately another two-player game. You know our good buddy, David Thompson, who does Undaunted and War Chest? I think the winner of a couple squirrelies. That's exactly right. He has a new game just came out from Phalanx. Uh, called Europe Divided, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a Twilight Struggleish type game. And it's post Cold War. One of you plays as Russia, and the other side plays as uh, the EU and NATO. And basically, you're trying to influence the countries in between each other uh, over the course of the game. And it's one of those where 
there's goals that you have. There's these headline cards that come out that you decide what headlines you want to put into play. And the headlines will say, Hey, at the end of this round, it plays over 20 rounds. Every, every even round you resolve a headline. If you have influence cubes greater than the other person in this particular area, you'll get X amount of victory points. Wow. And the whole, the whole goal is to get the most victory points by the end of the game. But there's, there's card play um, over the course of the game where you'll you'll choose two cards and you can play and maybe it's deploying more military people out into the board or moving military around. Again, it had like if you had that like the idea of kind of an asymmetric game, Twilight struggle feel, but a lot lighter. Um, it's one of those things I wouldn't mind trying with you sometime to see what you think. If you like that style of game, I don't know. Have you ever played Twilight Struggle? Matter funny you should mention that. I'm playing it on the iPad. I've played it a couple times with a friend of ours, Kevin, and he, uh-huh. he will invite me to a game. The last time I played that game, I told him I would never play this game again on the iPad. Oh, why was it was it just the UI was difficult or it was hard to play on that? It was the card draw. It was oh. it was a terrible I mean, I had three scoring cards in my hand mm-hmm. and I only had control of one. And, you know, if you don't play your scoring cards by the end of the round, you lose in Twilight. Yeah. So here I am out of my draw hand. I'm going to have to play three of these cards, two of which are going, he's got control in. And I'm like, well, this stinks. And I'm like, okay. Mm. And then I'm like, screw this. Forfeit. Don't ever invite me to this game again. (laughs) I just, that game, I guess on the iPad has left a... First off, the tu- yeah, right. it has, and the, and the tutorial is terrible, absolutely terrible. Yeah, the may- maybe you'd like this one because it's a little bit lighter. It's one of those things that has has multi use cards. Every card may have like multiple abilities. Like this card can be used either to get you some extra gold, or this card can be used to use that gold to pay for new units. Or this card can be used to increase your influence. There's no dice rolls in there, but there's dice in there when you when you go into an area and you can influence. You can increment your influence up to six, and that's the most you can influence an area. But if like if a military, if the other side's military comes in, automatically bumps it down to five. It's just some really cool mechanics in there. Multi-use cards, I think, are always cool. Uh, the idea of where each of you get to put a headline out. Um, and, you know, if I see what your headline that you're working towards, I may go try to stop you from getting like influence in that area. Likewise, you're trying to stop me, but we're also trying to achieve our own, you know, uh, headlines too, so we can score the points. It's a really good little head-to-head game. Took us about an hour and a half to play. I wish it had fallen into the hour range. Uh, on the box, it does say 90 minutes, and that seemed to be right. I'd like to play some more to see if we if we get it down to an hour. If you can get that Twilight Struggle feel in like an hour, hour and 15, 15 minutes, I think that's a good sweet spot. As long as you don't have a bad taste in your mouth. For me. Exactly, exactly. And I think this is different enough where I, I don't think it, it would. Okay. I don't know. I, again, again, this is one that's is easy to learn, too. It, it's quick, plays 20 rounds after the 20th round. Uh, basically who has the most points wins. So it moves pretty smoothly, moves pretty quickly. And, and I'm fine with that playing, you know, trying it. I'm always happy to try a game and, and tossing it aside if it makes me grumpy. I'll be happy to try Europe Divided. Now, before I left on my vacation, though, I will say this. I was, I was, I got my Satisfy, Satisfy uh, contraption for my Switch. You know, the big grip thing that you told me I needed to buy. It makes us old people not feel so bad with our thumbs. <laughs> yeah, this is Satisfy Grip. S-T-S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E. And you slide the switch into it and basically it extends 
adds little grips to the side of the Joy-Cons to make mm-hmm. it easier to hold. I, it's for anybody. My son uses it and going, holy cow, Like I can hold this for like hours and it not cramp my hands at all. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm getting ready to get on a long flight to England and then coming back, it's Oslo to Newark. And I'm like, I do I really want to carry this switch around with me, especially in this new contraption? Will I play it on the plane? You know, I'm sitting here thinking all this. I can charge it on the plane. That's not a problem unless you're on a Scandinavian Airlines that has 220 and not 120. But that's okay. <laughs> then that's another issue. But anyway. I'm like, uh, well, I played on the boat and Donna's like, just take the stupid thing. Cause you know, this is how you will at night, you'll play for a little while and put it aside. You'll go to discover a, what is it? A Korok leaf, Korok leaf, little guy in breath of the wild. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that thing. Um, so she says, you know, you're good. You'll do that. I played my switch zero hours. Really? I know. I was very surprised. What did you do instead? I watched movies on the plane. Yeah. Didn't have time on the boat. I really, I mean, at night we would go up and we would um, play Knock Mall or Little Devils or Opashaw. Those were the games we were playing. So then I come home and I'm looking at the show notes and somebody has posted in here something about Bubble Bubble. What up? Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to get a an early key. You suck uh, again. <laughs> For Bubble Bobble that's coming out on the Switch, it's called Bubble Bobble Four Friends, the number four. And this is going to be coming out at the uh, the end of March. Obviously, it's not a game for you and I because it's Four Friends and War of the Ring, Bubble. I see where, where this is going. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole story uh, behind Tony and I and uh, Bubble Bobble. And uh, Tony, would you like to fill them in on our history uh, with this classic arcade game? Basically, college roommates, we sat down with my Commodore 64, no, Commodore 128, got the Bubble Bobble arcade classic. Marty said, even back then, back in 1988, Marty even said, that's a fun game. You should buy it for your computer. Okay, I'll do that, Marty. And we would come home from class his senior year, my junior year, and we would try to beat Every level of this game, we would sit there and play this thing for an hours, 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 hours. But did we not achieve that and beat every level? We beat every level. That's absolutely right. So when you said it was coming out for the switch, I was so excited. I'm like, we will get to relive our college days. That's right. But what's so great about this is it does include the classic game. So you like, like you walk up to an arcade machine and deposit a credit play the classic game, classic graphics, classic music, but there's the new mode where it's couch co-op, brand new levels and everything, up to four people can play at a time and your whole goal is to clear a level. So you're presented with a level, you got all the ghosts going around, you try to bubble them, you try to pop them and progress to the next level and see how many levels you can get before you die. Just like the classic game, except now it's high def graphics, that this it's the original music kind of redone, so it sounds a little bit crisper and a little bit better. And the fact that you can play with four people is is just a blast. And I can't wait for it to come out so you can get a copy, so you can actually try this out and see how uh, good it is. 
And some of our uh, reviews of Switch games call it No Quarter Required. Yeah. Well, I don't know if anybody's ever noticed that, but the theme music I have play as the uh, mm-hmm. bumper is the bubble bubble music. Mm-hmm. It will stick in my brain forever. That's okay. Yep. I'm excited. I can't wait for it to come out um, at the end of March. At the end of March. And speaking of classic games there's another classic game tony that's coming out on the switch this week as if as of this recording you played animal crossing correct a good friend of mine he was a friend and he told me you need to go try out animal crossing so (laughs) i picked that game up for uh, one of the my game boy systems and i think it was ds ds and it did not grab me it didn't. I didn't realize that. For some reason, I thought you did like it. It didn't grab you, eh? It reminded me of too much of work. I had to. I had to go <laughs> okay. do stuff. I had to go out and. That's fair because you, you you had to go and uh, work in order to pay your rent for your house. <laughs> you had to go and earn bells. I had to go do stuff at certain times. That's right, and you had to go see Tom Nook, and buy stuff from him, and you can uh, you could build up your house and. And it is kind of work because you start with a simple home and you go out there and you could buy furniture and make it bigger. Then you have more of a mortgage payment and you go and plant plants and you go and and harvest those oranges or apples or whatever type of island you have and sell those. Well, so now on this one, Tony, it's basically you're dumped on an island and there's nothing there. And basically you're constructing the whole island at that point. So you're a kind of island building uh, which adds this whole new twist. But reviews came out for today. And on Metacritic right now, it's right around a 91%. And it says it's one of the best Switch games ever. My son, Brett, decided he wanted the special Animal Crossing Switch. So he sold his existing Switch and bought the new one that has the nice Animal Crossing dock and the colorful Joy-Cons. I don't need Animal Crossing. I, I don't need that. Because what, I guess what gets me, Marty, is a game like that from 7 to seven, I'm not, I don't have the opportunity to get on and play. So what am I missing yeah. in there? You know, and I don't, I don't know if it still does that. Yeah. For nobody's never played, there were actually certain times during the week and at certain times, uh, merchants would show up. Like I remember one Sunday morning, setting my alarm for 7am so I could wake up and turn it on as a merchant was going to come by from like seven to eight. Cause there's something I wanted to buy from him. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only other game that made me do this was star Wars galaxy. When I had to go, Look at my harvesters. Yes. Power those things and deal with that. But even then, I could do it so that I had a better plan. But yeah, see, that's the only thing about those games. I'm I'm not sure. Hey, do me a favor. Why don't you purchase that and tell me if it's something I should really consider? I don't know. I think I'm just going to watch Brett play because the same day uh, Doom Eternal comes out and I did pre-order that and I'm ready to go shoot some demons. So Totally contrasting games, big games coming out that day. Animal Crossing and Doom Eternal. I can understand. I mean, did you ever catch them all? Even in the original Pokemon? No, in this, in the, didn't you buy the Pokemon? No, no, no. It's ridiculous. There's so many. I guess you theoretically could. No, it's too intimidating. I wouldn't even try it. I mean, even when there was like 100 and was it 151, 152 yeah. in the original Red or Blue, I came like, did I catch them all? I can't remember if I called them all or not. I came very close to it if I didn't, maybe within one or two. But anyway, no, there's there's no I'm going to catch. Them I did, I, did you did you complete Breath of the Wild? No, I did not. You've got you've progressed so much further okay. than that game I ever did. I'm just trying to show a pattern here, dude. Just go kill monsters. What? Just go kill monsters. Don't you don't need to do one of these games that requires you to just go like you said. Go get Doom. That's what you need. 
So while you were gone, did get three other games to the table. One with Vanessa. This is a roll and write. You like your roll and rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a game called Unlocking Insanity from Peterson Games. This is a game where <laughs> you're, you, each of you are giving a sheet of paper that has a brain on it. <laughs> that's broken up into the different lobes of the brain. They're going to roll two dice and you're going to pick one to put in a positive value of your brain. The idea is to try to keep each lobe of your brain in a positive number above zero, because after you pick one of the dice to select and put into the positive row of a certain lobe, then you draw a negative die out of the bag that you're going to roll. And it'll say, okay, in this color, you need to put a negative value in the lobe. And so over the course of the game, you're trying to mitigate what's like, I got to make sure I got to get a positive number here to mitigate this negative number here. Because at the beginning of every round, you need to check and make sure that the sum of the positive numbers for each area of the brain is greater than the negative number that's been tracked there for the brain. Because if not, you're going to go insane in that one area of your brain and you're going to take an insanity card that will... Uh, be detrimental to you. It's going to do bad things to you. So it's this constant back and forth of trying to get the right number of positives to negate the negatives. Hey, that makes sense. And then at the very end, you're going to be the person the most points wins. The idea of pulling a die out of the bag, you have no clue where you're going to have to put your negative value that turn, what color it's going to go into. Each lobe is represented by a color. And then uh, when there's only uh, one die left in the bag, all dice go back in the bag and you kind of start over again. The only thing I had about this game that was kind of tough is as you filled in all these numbers, Tony, at the beginning of every turn, you must add up eight different sets of numbers. For every every section of the lobe, there's a positive set of numbers and a negative. And you got to add each of those up, make sure that your your negative isn't higher on each one of those and then resolve from there because it's, again, you're, you're writing in these numbers down on everybody's turn. So when somebody rolls a negative number, you still have to write it in. You don't resolve it until it gets to you to see whether the negative part of that brain is higher than the positive part. I know that sounds somewhat confusing and when you're playing it, it makes total sense. It's only the only thing that kind of got to us after a while. It's like, wow, let me add up these eight negative numbers. Let me add up these six positive numbers, <laughs> you know, okay. Is the positive number greater? Awesome. I can move on to the next one. So there's a lot of little tracking. It would be good to have uh, some scratch pencil and paper there so you could track it as you go along. Well, I mean, yeah, for a roll and write, it'd be good to have a pencil. I agree. Well, as a scratch paper. I know. Um, I'm just giving it, you a hard time. And the only other thing that was, it, the the paper is really nice that you, the pad of paper and everybody that writes on, but it's shiny. There was an overhead light and there was a lot of glare on the paper. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of having to keep picking up the paper so I could see because so, so the glare on it. So uh, again, Vanessa likes her Cthulhu themed games, which is what this is. This is a Cthulhu themed game where the idea is you're going to be going insane over time. Uh, another good uh, typical roll and write. Oh, there's some bonuses too. In the positive value, if you can get all your positive uh, numbers to equal a certain value for each lobe of the brain, it's like, hey, on this lobe, if you can get your positive values to equal 26, you get double bonus points if you can get this lobe of the brain's positive sum to equal like 24 you get bonus points etc so there's other little ways that you can get points and the um and again the insanity cards can do different things to you over the course of the game so if that sounds interesting to you it's going to be coming out soon it plays two to five players 30 minutes a solid little game got to check out uh the expansion for empires of the north romans toga 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 
we actually all did wear togas that night. It was weird. This is before the coronavirus hit. So we thought we were pretty safe in togas that night. I bet. I don't know. It was kind of cold, wasn't it? It was, but you, uh, it's okay. Mark keeps it. So let me guess. Warm in his house. Uh, from the things I've read on our pod pledge page from Mark and some of the things you posted out there, it is um, a hit. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. It was solid. Yes. And again, uh, just like in the Japanese islands, the two new factions are very unique. The Romans are also very unique in what they do. So uh, you've got all the base factions in the game. You've now got two Japanese. You've got two Romans. So there are a lot of different things to choose from. Uh, the game is, I still really, really like that game. The All the expansions still fit in the box. I worry at some point in time, there's going to be too many expansions where they won't fit in there. Again, if you like Empires of the North, I think you need to buy both of the expansions. They both offer very different gameplay experiences um, and how they work. And we know that Barbarians is coming. He's already announced that. So he's got that game still alive and well. I, st- I still very much enjoy it. And uh, I need to get to the table so you could try out the Romans. Actually, in the Jap- you never played the Japanese Islands either, did no, you? No, you don't, you don't let me play old games. You just say no. Here. No, you just don't show up on the nights that we do play. Um, that's because I was on a boat. Was it we were on a boat when we played Japanese Islands? No. Nope. No, I was working. He was probably working. I was working. Like so, well, while I was away, I received a couple of boxes of games. Thank you, Crystal, for getting those off my porch before some porch pirate did. The, wouldn't that be disappointing as a porch pirate? <laughs> It's like, yes, I got, oh, uh, what is this? What is this I got garbage? A, I got a board game. Yeah. One of them I'm, I'm interested in that I, I don't know anything about, but Ravensburg sent uh, me Wonder Woman, Challenge of the Amazons. You got Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Dang it. I was wanting Wonder Woman. Well, and you know what was funny? When I opened it up, I had me TV on and it was Linda Carter. Playing Wonder Woman. I, I was, yeah. So Rodney has done a video for that. Play it and let me know what you think. Because I want I want to know if Vanessa would like it or not. Okay. Uh, we'll trade. We'll trade um, Wonder Woman for, uh, I don't know. You've, I'm sure you got something over there that Donna would want to play. Like cartographers. That she'd like, I think she might like that. Oh, yeah. She she would like that. We also got to try another game that was Anxious Try 2, and that's Etten from WizKids Games. We play with four players. With four players, it's 2v2. Uh, you and your partner team up against other two uh, people and uh, fight each other. There's different factions with different abilities. This has a really cool drafting mechanic where there are cards that will come out that you and your partner draft to put into your hand. But what's interesting too is you also have a draft round with your enemy. So different cards come out like mercenaries and stuff that both either one of you can draft and you take into your hand. And then you're going to deploy units out into a field of like four different spots and they're going to deploy units and then you're going to flip over and you're going to battle each area. So each each of the four lanes you, you compete against, but you can also put in buildings or um, strongholds or I can't remember if it was strongholds, but it's like buildings to provide extra defense and you're basically trying to knock down the other's defense and everything. It's uh, it's one of those things that plays up, gosh, was it like eight players? So I think it would be kind of crazy with eight. And you just team up with the person to your right. So like the person to your right is always like your, your buddy that you're working with. The person to your left is your enemy. So it kind of goes that way around you know, the board. 
No, that doesn't make any sense because the first one to my right, I'd be his enemy. That doesn't work at all, Tony. So just totally forget that. So, you know, this, this sounds kind of like um, when Rodney Smith was introducing your game of the year, holding on to the reward because you taught him wrong. And until you... But this was right. We did teach it right okay. with the four player. We, I know for sure that we got it right. Okay. I just want to make sure. Because I'd, I'd hate for you to be teaching another game wrong. Like War of the Ring when you teach me. <laughs> but anyways, one of those things I thought was cool. I like the drafting mechanic. The uh, The art is amazing. The factions are very unique. The only thing that towards, kind of towards the end of the game, the combat was getting somewhat tedious because of so many units that come out then. And there's all these texts on these units that you kind of have to read and resolve. And you have to add up all the strengths of the units. Any modifiers that come into play, you got to take care of that. And likewise, uh, they, the, your opponent does that too, and you see who wins. And then there's this uh, idea of like, okay, I beat you, so I get to take over the people that you had, and you put them into a your pile of discard piles. And some of those uh, units that you destroy have victory points. It's all about victory points, Tony, as always, right? Because mm-hmm. at the very beginning of the game, you're going to count up all the victory points that you've conquered and everything over the course of the game. It's one of those things that all of us play. We, we enjoy playing. It's one of those that we probably need to play again. Uh, we, I'd like to get you in on this to see what uh, you think. But the idea of this, like working with a partner and against somebody else and the drafting, I just thought was was really sweet. And that's from WizKids Games. It just came out recently. And I've seen several people play it and everything. And it's I've seen some mixed feelings on it. I do think that playing with eight is probably a little too crazy, but four is probably the sweet spot. And you get it? It's an Etten. It's a it's a two headed yeah. thing, just like we were on the uh, on on Incourageable the, uh, the party. Uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. So when I posted War of the Ring, I thought Tony on social media, this post is going to blow up. Everybody wants to hear about my experiences of playing War of the Ring on Instagram, on Twitter. I did like a live story on Instagram, telling my thoughts and feelings on it, and it got some interaction. But actually, the biggest interaction of that week was when I posted a picture on Twitter and Instagram saying, hey, I just got a diet Dr. Pepper slash cream soda that I'm going to try. And it blew up. All of a sudden, everybody's like, there's a Dr. Pepper cream soda? Where did you get it? Is there a diet version? Is there a Railers version? Is it any good? I got like 50 comments on this thing. People looking for the Dr. Pepper cream soda drink that just now came out. And I guess it's flying off the shelves because it's very hard to find. You made fun of me posting my big bag of chips my big on Instagram. And here you are saying, okay, I'm posting a soda and I got a lot of hits. That's what people want to know. They don't care about what we think about games. Come on, man. Give it the stick. We just need to post food and be done with it. By the way, um, if you like Dr. Pepper and cream soda, uh, try this drink because it's very good. Mm. So speaking of food, in which we'll go into real quick, because I really haven't talked about my amazing vacation to Norway and chasing the Northern Lights. So there was one time where we went out to a Sami camp, which is the indigenous people of Norway and Russia. And they told us about their life and the hardships they've had and um, along those lines. And I, I did not know this. They owned the reindeer in Norway, mm. not Santa Claus. The Sami people owned the reindeer. <laughs> and so we're doing it and we went to their camp and we got to hear about their lifestyles. Very, very intriguing, uh, very eye opening. I mean, these people are living out there where it is minus 40 degrees Celsius. No, no. 
No. Uh, no. A, I ain't doing it. Mm. A reindeer can live up to negative 55 degrees Celsius. Wow. We were there and it was 15 degrees. And these guys had a couple layers on and they were like, this is like a spring day. So I got to feed reindeer. They took us on a reindeer sleigh ride. I got to sh- uh, practice lassoing a reindeer hoof. I mean, I'm sorry, antlers, things like that. And when I was all said and done, this was at night. They took us into the hut and fed us reindeer stew. <laughs> that seems kind of odd. Well, that's what the reindeer are for. It's their cows. So how is reindeer stew? Amazing. Is it gamey? No, it was not. Oh, okay. It was not very gamey. And then on the next night on the ship, I had a reindeer flank steak. Very good. It was better than venison. I can tell you that. I was going to ask, how does it compare to venison? Yeah, much, so, much better. Interesting. It, it was very good. So, Marty, when you and Vanessa finally decide to take vacations, aside from board gaming conventions, mm-hmm. you need to take her to Norway during the winter or during February so, so that you can experience more snow than you thought you would ever see in your life. You used to ski. You would probably enjoy the mess out of this. You and Vanessa both used to ski. You would enjoy the mess out of this. I don't do cold well anymore. Even when I skied, I didn't do cold well. I know. Layers, man. Nothing like snot sickles. Hey, speaking of clothes. <laughs> See, I can tie anything together. <laughs> you did. Uh, have you seen this uh, Kickstarter that's going on right now from Ludo Cherry where they're selling um, shirts and skirts with like little board game um, patterns on them, but you don't really notice that they're board game patterns until you look really close yes i have a matter of fact by putting the link in our show notes you reminded me of it <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know, i just think those are those are really cool it's already funded and everything and there's like these little floral patterns mm-hmm. and everything and at first you think oh that's those are flowers and then when you look closely wait a minute those those petals are actually made up of meeples mm-hmm. oh that's cool or these these little um just little designs like at polka dots and you look really close and wait a minute, those, those large polka dots are, are dice. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I think it's some really, and there's a one that like, looks like a, Oh look, that's like a two stems and two cherries. And you look like even closer. It's like, no, those two cherries are actually dice. It's, a, it's some really cool ideas. It's a, uh, it's heavily funded right now. It's got like seventy thousand uh, dollars it's made, it's made so far, and it only needed fifteen to to make its goal. So it's well over. Uh, when this episode comes out, so we only have like a day or so left. Tony will put a quick link in the show notes if you want to go check it out before it closes, and hopefully, if it does really well, that even if you didn't catch the Kickstarter. Uh, hopefully, um, they'll have an online store where you can go and order these once these become available after all the Kickstarter pledges are shipped. If anything, go give them a dollar because they've got Rodney Smith from Watch It Play out of plaid. He's actually wearing them. Does Does Rodney like show up on everything now? I don't know. He's he's in this, so I was just looking down through the Kickstarter ad and thinking, okay, I mean, well, watch it played. These patterns are a wink and a nod to the hobby without hitting you over the head with it. And I love that. Rodney Smith, watch <laughs> is, it played. Is that, is that his quote? That is his quote. Oh gosh. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again, please. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> all right, all right. Uh, these patterns are a wink and a nod to the hobby. Oh, just stop, stop. A wink and a nod? What is it, like Santa Claus? What is this? Did he do this over Christmas when he had just heard it was the night before Christmas? What was it, with a wink and a touch of his nose or something like well, that? Well, it's just kind of like, you know, that's cool, y'all. Yeah. 
That's the thing. Uh, these patterns are a wink and a nod to the hobby without hitting you over the head with it. In other words, it's subtle. Could he have said these patterns are subtle without hitting you over the head with it? He could have. He could have, but he didn't. He went with a wink and a nod. You know what he should have done? These patterns that you can discover on your own are subtle without hitting you over the head with it. See, discover. He could have gone with a tagline. Oh, he could have. You had to discover these shirts on your own. <laughs> there are more there are more patterns on the Kickstarter, but I'll leave those to discover on your own. There you go. That's exactly it. <laughs> Scroll down to discover more of those. If we find more, maybe they'll discover more patterns. I don't know. <laughs> oh my heavens. So they they do look cool, man. I'll, I'll give you that. Hey, you know, I'd even chip in half price if you'd get you out of flannel. Or I mean, out of plaid. <sighs> and I know. And you do the same thing if you'd get me out of hoodies. Okay. That's right. Okay. Touche. Touche. Now, typically when we talk about portal games, we talk about the games, but I would like to share something else with you. If you're not following them on YouTube, please go do so because each week they release a vlog. It's a very well edited, very well produced vlog where Ignacy goes over some of the games he's working on, some of the designs that he's doing, some of the play testing that they're doing. But also every once in a while, he'll just look at a certain aspect of the industry and talk about it. Uh, he talked about his thoughts on Asthma Day, which actually, at the end of this episode, we're, uh, Tony and I are going to be talking about some stuff that's going on with the Asthma Day. So he gives you some insider information to the industry and his thoughts on it as a publisher. Really, really informative videos. There's some humor in there. The music's in there. It's really well done. So if you want to go check those out, again, once a week they come out, go over to YouTube and search for Portal Games and make sure to subscribe and hit that little notification bell so that you won't miss each week when he releases his Portal Games vlog. One of Tony Mine's favorite Euro games over the past several years is Great Western Trail from designer Alexander Fister. Am I correct, Tony? You are correct. Nothing like trains and cows. What are some of the things that we like about Great Western Trail, Tony? Deck building. Yes, we like our deck building games, and it's really cool to have this kind of medium to heavy Euro with deck building in it. Yes, we love our set collection. And one thing that appealed to you again was the theme. You like the whole Western theme of basically you're you're taking your, I guess they're cowboys? Well, they're, they're herders, uh, cow herders. They're, what are they? Wranglers! There we go. They're trying to wrangle uh, cattle. Uh, up the trail to put them on a train in order to ship them all for, well, well, we'll just call it victory points. We're selling them. Let's be honest. Got to get them on the train. Got to get them out there. We love our variable setup. Just love that. You don't know the board's never the same. We, we enjoy that. That's another reason why we like Great Western Trail. 
Yeah, because over the course of the trail, different buildings can come out each uh, game. And then each of you have your own set of buildings that you're going to put out that can give you special actions. And if somebody stops on your building, you get money. So you got a lot of interesting choices you have to, to make. You got player boards where you can, one of those mechanics where you can remove pieces from the board that unlocks other abilities. Like when you put your cattle onto a train and you ship them to a new city, you get to take one of the discs off your board and put it in that city. When you take the disc off the board, it has a new ability for you. Say, for example, increasing your hand size, etc. There are a lot of different things going on. So it's one of those things that first time we played, we just like loved how everything worked together. Well, recently at uh, Essen, Capstone Games released a new game called Mari Kaibo, which is also by designer Alexander Pfister. And we had heard that this was like the spiritual successor to Great Western Trails. So I could not wait to get my hands on it and play it. And this past week, Tony, you and I got to sit down and, and play our first game of Maracaibo. And this game has been talked about a lot. It's been a very popular game. A lot of people have reviewed it. But what I wanted to do, Tony, is you and I are going to talk about, well, here's our first impressions of this game and how it compares to one of our favorite games, Great Western Trail, and kind of bounce back and forth. See, what do we like better in one game, uh, maybe um, over the other? And if you're listening to this, you might find something, oh, well, I would like Great Western Trail better because of, of this aspect, or maybe Maracaibo better because of, of this aspect. So let's begin the ping pong. So what's something that came to your mind, Marty? Well, you mentioned deck building. So mm -hmm. deck building does not exist in Maracaibo, right? No. I love games that use deck building in a very intelligent way. And Great Western Trail was one of the first ones, I think, that that ever did that. So I, when I heard it was a spiritual successor, uh, Archibo, uh, I thought for sure it was going to have deck building in it, but it does not at all. It's not any aspect of it. Oh, we, speaking of the theme of it, the theme of it has to do with uh, ships sailing around the Caribbean, uh, picking up goods, selling goods, etc. So that's kind of the of the theme of it, as somewhat like Great Western Trail where you're moving your Wrangler around the trail to get to the end. Here you're moving your ship around the in you know the oceans and everything around the different islands to make one complete loop so the thing that stuck out to me first is one has deck building one does not so from the great western trail aspect of it of getting your cowboy to kansas city you're having to go you have multiple options to move along the path and the same thing exists with mari Cabo. i said that wrong mara kiaba mark no. marky mark mark let's see now you're making me second guess myself so Maracaibo. Well, okay. M-A-R-A-K-A-I-B-O. Mara. Okay. We're going to do this live. We're going to see how this is said. By Google? Well, of course. Okay. Here it is. How to pronounce it. Maracaibo. Spanish. Maracaibo. So G-W-T or M. That'll save me some time. G-W-T. There you go. From a deck built, you're right. There's no deck building in this game. But there is an aspect of using cards that has captured our fancy, and that is Marvel Champions, where you're using cards to pay for stuff. Mm. And it makes a, a yeah. very hard decision. For some odd reason, that has, that's always been something we've enjoyed. The same thing happens, uh, I mean, even back in Netrunner. You know, which cards do I want to put down or discard? You're having those hard choices. I know you weren't paying for anything in Netrunner. But anyway, you're sitting there, and you're like, I really want to keep this card, but I really need to use this card to pay for something. So it's a it's a multi-use card. Mm -hmm. 
And so which of the two do you like? The deck building side of it where you need to increase your cattle herd at the end to help you move down the trail or the fact that you're using cards and having that hard decision. I felt there was a harder decision to be made in this and in M. Well, of, of course, because the cards also have secondary abilities. And if you can pay for the card and get it into play, uh, it gives you some abilities that you can use over the course of the game. But the cards also have little resource icons on them. And when you draw, go into a port, uh, you can spend a card. Let's say there's a port that's wanting corn. And I have a card in my hand that has the corn icon. I can discard that, take one of my tokens off my player board, and put it on the spot on the map. And just like in Great Western Trail, which I like, taking a token off my player board unlocks an ability. So there's additional abilities that you can unlock on your player board over the course of the game. And that's done by delivering goods. And the cards are used for that. Or the cards are also used for just paying their resource costs, getting them into play, which will have an ability. For example, uh, is uh, one of them is putting out uh, one of your meeples on the board and they're like, they're like an assistant, right? So mm-hmm. the next time you stop at that island and your meeples there, then you can take advantage of the abilities on that card every time you take a loop around the Caribbean. I had forgotten about the board and Great Western Trail and how you build on them. That's interesting. I, I, I had not linked those two. I mean, it's harder to do in M versus GWT for, in my thought process of it because i'm sitting here thinking okay so here i was adding the tokens the engineers the cowboys and that kind of stuff to unlock things here it was very important to unlock added benefits on the board in maracaba maracaba wow maracaba maracaba kaba kaiba i'll never get it man this thing will last forever if we want to wait for me to pronounce it right why is this so hard for me i don't know but okay, so so yes, I enjoy that aspect of the game as well. What else did you enjoy? Which aspect? The the unlocking of the board. Well, that's on both of them. I, uh, no, I like the harder aspect of it. Back on M, I like that one better. Okay, so you like the idea of delivering goods in order to open up? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actions, yeah. and I also like the two that there's two there's two types of actions depending on where you stop. There's an island action or a city action where you uh, pre-populate the board at the, at the beginning of the game on some spots so that'll give you an ability or action you could do at that spot. But if you stop at a village, then you could take village actions. Mm-hmm. And you could take uh, one of several village actions, and as you unlock stuff on your board, it opens up more village action options. I also think it's cool, Tony, is when you move your ship, you can move one to seven spaces, and the further that you go the more village actions you can take if you stop at a village. So you don't feel as penalized for not crawling along. Exactly. Because if I jump seven spaces, then I can take three village actions. Those village actions may be, you know, get additional gold, play a card. One of the things you can unlock on your board is, uh, hey, you only have to move five spaces in order to get three additional actions. Uh, or it could be, hey, instead of four cards in my hand, I get to hold six cards in my hand. And having a bigger hand size is huge in this game. Mm-hmm. So this is the part that confused me about this game, Marty. And it took a while okay. for me. because there's a, Which one? The f- Mark Ibo or Great Western Trail? M. M. <laughs> so, okay. so there's four rounds in this game. And I'm yes. doing the village actions. You could do 1A, 2A, or 3As, depending on how far you move. Right? Yes. So if I move to the villages and I go there and I do these A actions, can I then do the lower actions that are on my player board or 
you you have to do those A actions, right? Remember, you unlock additional A actions. It just gives you additional A. Or we're using the term A actions. It's actually on your player board, the letter A, which are like village actions. So anything on your board that has an A, it could be done. So if I can do three A actions, you have the three existing that you start out with plus any additional that you've unlocked. Right. So I'm looking at the player board. It's, you know, in the first time you move your ship and then you go into the B segment where if you're in the village, you can do the A actions. Are all the A actions included there of buying a card, taking a token, or doing an action that may you have, may have unlocked, or you may fulfill a quest, or you may um, activate an assistant, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. If there's an if there's an assistant there, you could do that instead. So, and this is the thing that kept throwing me off during the game. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm in a village. I want to do two A actions, and I'm sitting there. Okay, I want to use this assistant and buy a card. No, you can't do that. You can only do these actions, these actions that are labeled A. Reason why I'm bringing this up is because eventually I caught on like, oh, that's this iconography. I understand this. It's labeled on the board very well. Do this here, do that there. So if it has this symbol, I can do it during this phase. And I think that's the beauty of this game as well. It's also part of Great Western Trail. The iconography is solid in this game. So as you talk about being able to do these village actions, I'm like, well, where are they? I can quickly look at my board. Something else I liked about the game. Another thing that I really liked about the game too, is you talked about it four rounds. I like it. It's fixed at four rounds. Um, As soon as somebody's ship gets uh, all the way around the loop, the round immediately ends. There's an intermediate scoring phase. Then everybody resets their ship at Havana and then they start again. And after the fourth round, you do that final intermediate scoring phase, then a final scoring and the game is over. But the thing is, though, with each one of those rounds, Tony, I felt like every round took about the same amount of time. Like there was really nothing being added to the. Yeah, I guess you could add like some additional assistance and stuff that you could stop in and do some things and uh, along the way. But each round took about the same length of time. With Great Western Trail, that is not the case at all. Because remember, in Great Western Trail, there's a lot of empty spots. And as you move, you don't count those empty spots as part of your movement. But as people buy buildings and put them on the board, all of a sudden, each time, each loop you go, you slow down a little bit each time because now there's more buildings you have to cross over. That by the very end, one trip through the trail takes way longer than the first trip through the trail. In some instances, Great Western Trail could drag towards the end of the game because of that. Where it's like, I just want to get to the end and, and have it be done. But with Maracaibo, it can work that you can, if you feel like you have got a good lead, you could just jump seven spots each time and get to the end as fast as possible and end the round for everybody. That's another different thing about Great Western Trail. If you got to the end, everybody else just keep on, kept on going. They didn't reset. So you may be on your second time through uh, the trail, and I still may be on my first. You actually could lap me potentially. Mm-hmm. Not so with the case of Maricaibo. It will always reset at the beginning of the each round with every ship going back to the start position. So let me address a couple of things you pointed out there. The first one is you talked about how it could drag on in Great Western Trail as you kept adding more th- slots here. I agree with you. You can quickly move through M. Unlike Great Western Trail, you can jump to the end. 
especially it can be a strategy. If you're the other players are putting out a bunch of assistants that allow them to stop and do actions, you may want to force them to hurry their little ship along. Stop dragging your anchor and let's go because you don't want them to be able to take those actions. That is part of the gameplay that you've got to consider in as you're playing this game. Now you may be sacrificing going into villages and doing that as well, or you may be sacrificing getting money or the victory points you need, but it is something that may force your hand, especially if you don't have out assistance. That is a very good balance in that game. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I thought that was pretty interesting because you had like five assistants. And by the way, these assistants are not easy to get. Yeah. Cause they, they cost a lot of money to get out there. And by the way, you can only take advantage of your own assistant. You can't take advantage of somebody else's. I mean, great Western trail. I can land on somebody else's building and pay them mm-hmm. and then use their abilities. But these cards are in my tableau and M. So yep. therefore I can only get that assistance and, and, and you, and it puts an interesting, I'm in this village. Do I use the assistant or do I need to really replenish my hand or get some money or do something like that? So another hard decision to make, but I'm with you. I, I agree. Forcing someone to get to the end. Now, you know, people may be sitting there thinking, but that blows, uh, for me because I've built up this great strategy tough. You got to deal with it. And, and there's a race to the quest as well that are on the board. The quests are going coming out each round. Yep. And you need those for possibly victory points at the end. Yeah. Cause every time you finish the quest, you put it on your board and then there's these prestige cards, which are like in-game scoring. And, and the one of them that we happen to have out was, Oh, by the way, you get like two points for every quest that you've done. Well, now you've got a goal to shoot for, right? One of them was uh, two points for every assistance you have out on the board, mm-hmm. uh, which is which was uh, me doing that. Great Western Trail does have hid- hidden objectives that you select at the beginning of the game. Uh, at the beginning of the game on Maracaibo, you have what you call career cards, which everybody can see, uh, but it's like little goals that you need to achieve. And for every goal you achieve, you get a worker put in your pool that you can use. And once you have uh, that card empty, you can flip it over and get like a couple gold, a couple victory points and stuff. So there's no like hidden goals. I do think the scoring is more wide open, more visible. Let's put it that way. It's more visible in Maracaibo because kind of at the end, uh, there is this, there's an influence, this influence thing, which I'm going to talk about in a second, which is one thing that I kind of still have to wrap my head around. Um, Aside from that, the scoring is pretty straightforward. There's no hidden scoring or anything like that. Anything like that. You kind of see what people are going to get. With Great Western Trail, not until the very end when people show, okay, here are the objective cards I've been working on and stuff, and here are the ones I can fulfill. And there's also a lot more scoring that's done in Great Western Trail. I mean, they give you a whole tablet uh, for each of you to score each individual element. That doesn't exist in Maracaibo. So the very end scoring of the game takes longer in Great Western Trail than it does in Maracaibo. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right. I like the scoring in M a lot better. We also didn't mention this either. There's an adventurer. Each of you have an adventurer that's on the board, and there are certain times along as you move along the board where you can move your adventurer down a trail or down a path. And as it moves, it will give you like victory points or additional gold. And there's also quests on that path too. So that one is a race. Uh, because if you can get to a quest before somebody else does, those quests don't refill. So once it's off the board, that's it. It's gone. And the further you get down the track, and Tony, you did an amazing job at this. There are a lot of victory points at the very end of that adventurer's path, and you got there and were just racking up the points. And I took a wild guess that that was an important part of the game. You know, when you play a game for the first time, you're always trying to learn on the on the points. Now, you did say that those quests don't refill. On the main adventure board, 
the quests come out, but they're dictated by a specific card and they're not in the same area. Yes, yes. It's it's the story card, which is a whole nother really cool thing. So we just played the non-story game, just like a standard game. There's a whole story element, Tony, that as you play the game, these story cards will come out where decisions will be made and based on the story card will dictate what quests come out. But not only that, there's these campaign tokens that are placed on the board that will change the locations and what they provide and what they do. So the idea was that maybe over the course of 12 or 13 games, it's kind of a legacy style game. It's not a permanent change. It's just that, okay, last time we played this game, we stopped at this story. Here's the setup for this story. Put these these tokens here, these quests here, etc. And then you set up the board that way and you, and you play through the story like that. But you don't need the same people playing every game. It doesn't matter. I could play with three brand new people this part of the storyline and move to the next one. And the people won't really know the difference. It's just the board will have a different setup than the one before it but they won't know how it got there and it really doesn't matter. That's one part of the game I would love to explore more as the whole story-driven part of the game. I think that looks really cool. Right. One part of the game you haven't really mentioned, and if you do, I'm going to go to the restroom because it still baffles my mind, and that's combat. The ability to do combat on the high seat. That was a little different because there are certain icons where you can do combat. You're going to take a combat tile. You will determine who you're doing combat for. Mm-hmm. There you go. Who you're representing, and you're going to get a number of amount of strength based on that combat. Some will have more than others. Talking about the countries, France, uh, Spain. Portugal. And uh, Portugal, yes, thank you. And then you can spend that strength in order to get things. Like, well, I'm going to spend two strength in order to place an influence token of that country on that spot. Let's say you're representing France and Spain is there. Then you have to pay additional swords. It costs more to remove the existing influence cube and put that country's influence cube there. And the whole goal of this is because these influence cubes end up being kind of like an area control game. And the more cubes that you have out at the end of the game, If you've obtained a lot of influence with that particular country, you're going to score more points. And to me, Tony, that was the trickier part of the scoring of the game. Over the course of the game, there's three tracks, three countries where you can gain influence in. And at the very end, depending on how many of those color influence cubes are on the board, they can get bonus influence. And the further you go down in the influence track, the more victory points you'll earn per cube that's been played on the board. It still hurt. And here's the thing. That was what was really messing me up. Again, our first time through the game, I was just like, I am not grasping the concept of how the scoring of influence is going to happen at the very end of the game. Now, once our good friend Nate slowly walked us through it and (laughs) explained it to us, it was like, oh, okay, I'll get it. And because I didn't realize how important it was, you guys did. So the next time I play, I'll know how important it is. But I think that's one of those things playing for the first time. You really need to get somebody to understand how that works. To me, Tony, it's kind of like the trains in Great Western Trail. You mm-hmm. know when you get to the end of the track, there's like five steps you go through. In uh, order, you know, you got to put out tokens. You got to you get money for each different cattle that you have, and then you can move your train along the track. 
based on the money that you got. There's that whole thing going on that mm. it takes a couple times to really click. Mm-hmm. For me, that's the same thing with, with the combat and influence in Maracaibo. Because I'll be honest with you, I was a blind squirrel finding an acorn. I had no clue. Okay, so by removing cubes, I expose victory points. I take those victory points and multiply how far I am on the track, and that's going to give me victory points at the end. And if my if that flag that I have the most has the most, then it's not. It adds plus one more to it. All right. So or plus two, whatever well, it was. Yeah, like like the the most got plus uh, x amount, and the second got another an additional the third got nothing right yep so it's either going to be six times this number of victory points either plus one or plus two or however they did it and you're right i just and depending on how far i am on each of those tracks and what i didn't see the penalty was if i did not win that track i still got victory points you can't do all three that's a given. Right. You can't do that. Right. So if someone else is benefiting you, like you were removing this color and I suddenly went out there and was able to multiply by three and you were doing all the hard work of removing the cubes, then that was a good thing for me. Right? Yes. Because I was moving up really quickly on one track and Nate kept eliminating those cubes off the board to where all of a sudden the value of influence on that track wasn't as much anymore because he kept getting rid of those cubes. And then the ones he put out there all of a sudden were the most valuable. Well, they had the majority. No, you're right. It was the majority. You're right. They, He was the one that got the plus two points, not me like I was hoping. Well, but then I took it away from him. He got the... My, That's true. The, the, the one track got the plus two, and he and I were way ahead over there. So four plus two is six times four is 24 points. We got that. Where you got four... Plus one, five times four is 20. Did it really make that big of a difference? So everybody can understand how this area influence thing exactly. <laughs> is kind of heady. And, and it's one of those things you, you, you just kind of kind of figure out. Again, to me, it's like the moving of the train in Great Western Trail. You kind of got to get a grasp on that. And you got to get a grasp on this. But it really doesn't come into play. The points don't matter <laughs> until after the game is over. And that's when you score those influence points but that's something you need to be cognizant of as you play the game so tony here's the thing here's my question to you by the way we played three players it took us three hours to play right Mm -hmm. learning game yeah three and a half with a rules teach uh and alexander fister came on twitter later on and said by the way expect about one hour per player for your first game and you could probably get it down to about two hours total for like three players after that okay so tony here we go uh, I'm going to pull out two games to put them in front of you, Great Western Trail or Maracaibo. Which one would you be right now more interested in playing? And for the audience's sake, remember, we love Great Western Trail. It's one of my all-time favorite Euros. So both of these games, are, I think, are good. But go ahead, Tony. Does Great Western Trail have the expansion with it? Uh, oh, boy. Let's say, let's say yes, because we've said the expansion makes the game better, right? Mm-hmm. The expansion makes the game better. Okay. Ooh. There are a lot of variables here, a lot of things going through the mind. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I hate not backing up GWT and, and going with it over M. I'm sitting here. I, I'm really, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to have to go with M. Really? Mm-hmm. I did not think you would say that because I thought you said last week that you might go with Great Western Trail. So after s- stewing on it on a few days, you you think maybe Maracaibo might be the next one you want to play? Only from the standpoint of I need to understand it better. And I think maybe this this the pendulum or the needle will shift. 
we need to play him multiple mm. times to see, you know, where's the strengths, where are the weaknesses? Does this legacy thing hold up? How repetitive will moving the ship around the board get? How repetitive? See, I think with Great Western Trail, the reason why it may eventually win out is the placement of the town pieces for the Cowboys. Uh, so the building, the buildings that come out on the board makes the game or makes the board totally different every time you play. Exactly. And I think that's what may have the needle eventually shift it back to GWT after I've gotten some other M under my belt. But I think that's where the story comes into play, right? Because the board does change mm-hmm. state between each game. So right now I, I would say Mark Hybo also, I miss my deck building. I love deck building games and I love that part of Great Western Trail. I love that aspect of it. So I would totally miss that. But I do remember towards the ends of some Great Western Trail games of it dragging on because it takes so long to get down the path. With Maracaibo, it's just basically four almost equal playing time rounds throughout the game, which I, I tend to like a little more. Because I kind of know exactly how long it's going to take, and there can be a race to the end to force the uh, force the end of the game. And I'm very curious to see how about the legacy works. So I'm with you, Tony. I love Great Western Trail. It's an amazing game, but that should tell you what we think of Maracaibo to put it right up there to go. Well, you know what? I'm going to keep playing this a little bit more to see what I really think about this. It's two amazing games from Alexander Fister. I just love him as a designer. He's done a great job, and, and I'm I'm glad that Capstone was able to nab this game. It's another feather in their cap. It's one of the reasons they won Publisher of the Year last year. Not going to argue with you there. MiniatureMarket.com, they've got games, they've got accessories, they've got inserts, they've got dice, they've got bags to carry your games in, they've got shirts. It's like going to Walmart online. They got it all right there. Pretty soon they'll be offering snacks too. Hey, that's an idea, Marty. Maybe they could offer us snacks as well. I mean, they better offer moon pies. Exactly. Why not? Why could they not offer those non-perishable designs? Things just, just think if they were offering toilet paper. (laughs) They make a fortune. With every order over 100, you get a free roll of TP. That's right, at miniaturemarket.com where we are thinking about you game players. Man, yeah, that would work well for us all. Be sure to go check it out. The daily deal is back. Never do know when that's going to hit. Be the game you want because just, you know, recently a mole from I think it's A-M-U-L, Amul. Is that correct, Marty? I don't know. From Stronghold Games was out there for $15. An incredible under-the-radar card drafting game that you could pick up. Be sure to go check it out. Sign up for the newsletter at miniaturemarket.com. Tony, while you were on a boat, yep, there was a lot going on back here in the, uh, the games industry. There was. It seems Asmodee is in the news a lot recently. Obviously, Asmodee is one of the biggest, uh, I guess it probably is the biggest hobby board gaming publishers, probably not bigger than Hasbro, out there right now owning like, you know, Fantasy Flight, uh, Z-Man games. They just have made a couple of major announcements. One, they're going to create their own distribution channel. Now, this is a pretty flipping big deal because their games are so popular. The fact that they're pulling their games out of other distributors such as GTS and Alliance is a big deal to those distributors because they're going to be losing a lot of money. They're still going to partner with a distributor called ACD, 
But now ACD is actually having to compete against Asmodee because if they're doing their own distribution, what they're doing, and I've, I've read on ICV2 that this will basically increase their profits by 10 to 15% by doing their own distribution. So I understand why they're doing it. But basically, you're, you're really hurting a lot of other distributors out there. And now retailers only have two places they can go to to get Asmodee games. So on the business side, Tony, that's that's a pretty big deal. That And this is one of the things that actually Ignacy touched on in one of his vlogs about the, how they kind of already done that in Europe. And he was expecting it to happen in the U.S. And now it's happened. You know, one of the things about being on the ship is I don't get a whole lot of news, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And from my standpoint, and what little I know of these type things, when I was reading the show notes and I saw ACDC, I started going, dirty deeds, done dirt, cheap, you know. Well, it's ACD. I, I understand. Not ACD. So, okay. uh, I know. I, I misread, and that was my mistake. So I'm going to trust you on this, that this is a big deal that other distributors cannot push out their games. I mean, I don't know how much Asmodee has in the game market from the standpoint of games coming out. A lot? Well, a lot. Put a percentage on it. Is it 25% of the games coming out? Oh, I I, I don't I can't put a percentage on it, but look at all this the studios that they own, which will be a actually a little side note, another little note I want to talk about in a second. But right now they own like like I said Z-Man games, they own uh Mayfair games or they own the Catan line, they own the Ticket to Ride line, they own the FFG Okay, so they so from that standpoint, nothing wrong with this. They own some companies that have what is the term evergreen? Yes, evergreen games. They have those. Yes, and now they're going to be doing distribution for those evergreen games. So instead of you know our local game stores being able to go to any distributor that they want in order to get the best price, they're down to two: uh, ACD and Asmodee. But are they going to price fix like they did with their map? Yeah, well, no. Map is still there. And in fact, that's another thing, Tony. They've actually increasing the prices on some of these games. Some of the games like Ticket to Ride, and it has some other examples, are going to go up $5 per box. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter because you're not going to be able to get them because, unfortunately, the per production machine is shut down because of all the stuff that's going on in China right Mm -hmm. now. I mean, it's basically, it's basically slowed down. I think they've started back up again, but yes, I mean that, that, that is going to be an issue. So again, this, this juggernaut of asthma day is still, you know, chugging along, but yet there's been a lot of changes, especially like in FFG. There's been a lot of people leaving just, you know, in the past, Christensen Peterson who started FFG is gone uh, Andrew Navarro, who was running the uh, the studio, uh, he left, and he's now with Chip Theory Games. Uh, Corey Kaniska, Kaniska, I always say his name wrong. I'm sorry, Corey. A big designer for FFG is now left kind of doing his own thing. And also, while you were gone, Brad Andres, who designed Keyforge, has announced that he's leaving FFG. So there's a lot of big talent uh, that is leaving that company. They're, they've spun off uh, the RPG section out. There's going to be another company. Uh, I can't remember where, or maybe it was the UK. I can't remember where is going to be taking over all the lines of the of the RPGs. So they're, they're streamlining. Uh, last week at Gamma, I heard a great interview with Steve Horvath, who's now running uh, basically the studios over there uh, now for FFG. He said that uh, they're cutting back the number of the releases they're doing, making more quality releases, which uh, is a thing that we've we've heard before. So. It's just a lot has been going on with that company, which even makes this other news more interesting is the fact that 
Colby from Plat Hat Games, who started Plat Hat Games, Colby Dolch, sold his company, mm-hmm. and then it was eventually picked up by Asmodee, and now Colby has bought Plat Hat back and is now an independent company again, and I am super excited about that because that company came out with some amazing games. Now they are no longer under Asmodee's thumb. So I give him an opportunity to spread his wing. And again, there was another amazing interview with Team Covenant did with him, just basically talking about why he did what he did. He was having some rough times in his personal life, thought it'd be best to go ahead and take this opportunity and sell it. But he said now he's in a much better place now, so he's taking it back. Now he didn't get all the rights back to the games. There are some games that are still going to be under um, Asmodee, so he didn't get all the exact rights back, but he got some of them back. And one of the ones that he has talked about relaunching is Summoner Wars 2nd Edition. Did you ever play Summoner Wars? No, I did not. It is a really good tactical card-based game. It's kind of like where Crystal Clans came from. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea of putting units on the board and moving around uh, with cards. I'm really hoping that... He takes some of the mechanics that they used in Crystal Clans and puts them in Summoner Wars, and I will see what they do with it. And he said that if successful, that he's thinking about possibly relaunching Ashes. Like a phoenix rising from the ashes. Thematically, it, it would make total sense. It would be Rise of the Phoenix Born. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it would be great. The thing is, though, the designer of Ashes, Isaac Vega, is taking this opportunity to step away from Plat Hat Games, and he's going to do his own thing. So if he does Ashes, I hope that Isaac will somehow still be involved some way. A lot of people are excited, and I'm excited for Colby too. I, I think I, I love the idea of here's this big, big conglomerate and an independent studio who was part of that is now independent again. And I love that. I, I, I love supporting the small guys. I love people like Capstone Games being successful. I hope Plat Hat Games does well. Uh, I'm excited to see a new version of Summoner Wars uh, taking a lot of the things. I mean, that game is like over 10 years old. Taking a lot of things that's been learned over the past 10 years and reapplying it. I think the idea of having a card-based tactical combat game is very cool. Crystal Clans just didn't do that well. But who knows, with, with the right launch and the right competitive scene it might do well he said that was one of the issues they had with ashes that they didn't have the competitive scene done well they didn't have the leagues and everything up and ready to go as they should and and it hurt the game so a lot of a lot of exciting things going on but kind of wrap up and kind of wrap around to the very first thing we started with tony i really think that this whole coronavirus thing we had predicted that in 2020 there was a lot of companies that was gonna have to make some hard decisions new games, 4,000 new games a year, just as it seems sustainable because a lot of those games are just not going to be worth anything or make any money. So a lot of small publishers may get out. Well, now with what we have with the coronavirus and the production issues in China, I think it's really going to accelerate. I think a shrinking of the choices that we're going to have on the shelves. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I hate for anybody to be hurt by that or anything, but I think for gamers, I think it's going to be good for us. I agree with you, Marty, on that from the standpoint of that you can only play so much. We don't need yep. all this choice. We don't need all this. There's so many games, so many good games, so many good designers out there that due to the competition, they're just not getting noticed. And maybe something will come out of positive from it. Um, unfortunately, with the... 
hopefully the finances, it will turn around for people. We know there's going to be layoffs. We know there's a recession. We know all this is coming, but hopefully it'll be a quick turnaround and the world will just get back to us being able to get together and keep rolling dice and taking names. This was a longer one than normal, but Tony and I hadn't had a chance to talk in a while, so we had to get a lot out on the table. If you like what you've heard, please follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram Dyson Names, join our BGG Guild 1589, and follow us on Facebook. We'll see you next episode. Ready? Mm -hmm. In three, two, one, Tony. Marty. (laughs) Wow. That was just a total brain fart. It was like, I'm going to go right into this. And I said, Tony's like, I don't know what I'm going to say. (laughs) Try that again. (laughs) The Broken Token is always coming out with amazing organizers. And just recently, they released the Zombicide Sci-Fi Organizer, which is for Zombicide Invader. And you can go all the way from having just, hey, here's a little insert for your base game, all the way up to full-scale inserts that have storage for everything and all the expansions and everything that you may have gotten with the Kickstarter. They have it all, a whole range. You can go check them out at the, over at the Zombicide Sci-Fi Organizer. Just search for it right there on thebrokentoken.com. And while you're there, check out all their other amazing accessories and organizers. And again, you can find it all at thebrokentoken.com.